At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 46. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Would you pray with me one more time as we engage God's word together? Faithful God, we come to you this morning as we prepare to engage your word and ask that you would once again use it to encourage and edify us as your people, that you would glorify the truth of Jesus and his reality of what he has done on our behalf through this text, that you would stir our hearts towards our own faithfulness in light of your faithfulness to us. Would you show us your grace and love and empower us to follow your spirit as he continues to guide each one of us in the journey that we are on. We give you this time and we ask that you would glorify yourself through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we heard Sarah's story and as we kind of consider a little bit of what I was saying earlier that I think as we step into a day like today, it's good for us to recognize the variety of paths that each one of us walk and the journey that we are all on, that not any one of us is walking the ideal path, but all of us have our own journey that God works through. I think sometimes that it's easy kind of in the busy day-to-day reality of our lives to actually forget that God uses our lives in his purpose, sometimes in unexpected ways. And I think sometimes what can be helpful for us in those journeys is to actually see at times examples of people who are seeking to just walk faithfully or who have walked faithfully when God worked in and through their lives in maybe unexpected ways. And so as we kind of celebrate Mother's Day today, I wanted to take time to look at two moms in kind of a story that oftentimes we kind of, I think, brush over, but I actually think gives us some really incredible examples of people who were faithful kind of with their story and their journey in the way that God works. So we're going to be introduced to two women this morning, Mary and Elizabeth. And our story comes right in the middle of the early part of Luke, which is an account written by an early Christian to kind of give uh, essentially an overview of Jesus's story. And the first few chapters focus on Jesus's birth. Oftentimes a story that we're actually engaging that I read before, we usually explore around Christmas time. 
right? It's kind of one of those stories that comes in the birth narrative of Jesus. So if you're around church at Christmas, you usually expect to hear this come along. Um, But I think because of that, oftentimes it kind of gets put with a Christmas lens, and it kind of focuses a lot towards Jesus's birth. And sometimes we miss kind of the secondary characters and some of the things that God's doing around Jesus's birth that actually can be a pretty significant encouragement to us. And so Luke accords this kind of story of these two women and their encounter actually as examples of people who respond to the way that he's actually working through Jesus. And so they're given kind of as examples for us to consider even in our own journey. This encounter that these two women have, they both come from very unique and different places. Right, I read the first couple verses, hear them again. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now, we've already in the process of Luke have been introduced to these three people. Zechariah is a priest. He functions and works towards the temple, and he has a responsibility that he performs one time in his lifetime that he gets to go in. And in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah goes into the temple, and when he does, he has an encounter with an angel. And the angel comes to Zechariah and says, hey, your wife, even though she hasn't been able to get pregnant for your entire life together, she's actually going to get pregnant. And the son that she's going to have is going to be the forerunner for the Messiah that's going to be born. Now, Zechariah doesn't believe him. And so the angel essentially says, well, because you don't believe me, God is going to close your mouth until your son is born and you're not going to be able to speak. So you have to imagine this for a moment, right? Zechariah goes to the temple. It's like the high point of his life, has this encounter with God, and then comes home to his wife, Elizabeth, and has to figure out how to tell her when he can't talk. I have no idea what that has to be like, but I have to imagine for Elizabeth that had to be a weird scenario, right? Like you're just at home, your husband comes home, suddenly he can't talk. Maybe some of you have been like, praise the Lord, thank goodness, but, and he's trying to explain to you like, hey, I saw this angel, we're going to have a, you're going to get pregnant even though you're old and we're way past the age to have kids and he's going to be the forerunner for the Messiah. I don't know if he's like carving this on stone or like writing on a tablet or like mouthing with motions, But at some point, Elizabeth receives the news and actually gets pregnant. So as we step into our story today, she's had this kind of weird reality in her life, and she's kind of just at home. But but again, capture a little bit of her story here. She's older. She's been barren for years. So she's been weathered by time and age and carrying a unique ache and pain within her community. Right? To be childless in those days would have been a sense of shame. And so she would have felt that and carried that, that people looked down on her, that her story was less than, that she didn't live up to the ideal. And then God does something miraculous and unexpected, but it's weird. It's like her husband's not talking. She's suddenly pregnant. She's trying to like help people understand. So this, this is where she steps into the story. She gets visited by Mary, a relative of hers. Now, we've been introduced to Mary already in the text. Mary is probably a teenager at this time. She's engaged to a guy, Joseph, but she's not married yet. So she's in the in-between stages. And an angel shows up to Mary and says, Hey, 
you're actually going to get pregnant with the Savior that God promised. Like that Messiah from the Old Testament where God promised he was going to send an anointed king to come and redeem his people and through him to begin to redeem the whole world. Like you're you're actually going to give birth to that child. You're going to conceive him by the Holy Spirit and you're going to give birth to him. Now, I have to imagine that's got to be a weird scenario for your life too, right? So she's in a weird place. God decides to do something interesting in her story, but it again puts her in an awkward position. To be pregnant before you're married, again, would be a sense of shame within the community. And it'd be pretty hard to be like, no, 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 guys, listen, listen, it's God who got me pregnant. Like, it it wasn't that, it was actually him. Like, who's believing that story? Oh, okay. So she probably does what I imagine many people would do. I need to go find some family and figure this whole thing out. She, She believes, we see that, she's an example of faith. But she comes into the story in a very different place than Elizabeth does. She's young. She's on the cusp of stepping into a new life, one that she expects with a husband to follow the kind of pattern of what she thinks life should be in her community. And then God interrupts it in a pretty significant way. And so these two women step into this moment really from very different places, having walked through very different things. And yet God chooses to use them for his purposes. And I think one of the things that I was reminded of, even in this studying this text, and the way the kind of story sets up, is I think this is a good reminder to us that don't count out what God can do through you because of where you've been or where you haven't been. One's young, one's old. One has been barren for years, one's pregnant before she's married. Like, they're in radical different life stages and life places, going through very different things, and yet God is using them in his purposes. There's never a thing that God can't do through you, and there's nothing that you've been through or haven't been through that somehow disqualifies you from the ability for God to be used by you. Now, what qualifies? What do we see actually in these women? Is their faithfulness to embrace their story. And to be faithful in the place God has them. God often uses the uniqueness of our stories, and oftentimes the challenges even that we face. That's why I love just getting the chance to hear from Sarah. I've seen many parents who walk through the journey of adoption, oftentimes out of real struggles and real pain. Many facing challenges of infertility for years, and yet God uses them in significant ways. I have a friend back home in, uh, in my home city where her and her husband walked through a journey of infertility for many years. And, um, and God, through that journey and process, led them towards the heart of adoption. And, uh, and so initially, they uh, adopted a sibling set of three kids. So they took on three kids. But in taking that step... God began to open their heart potentially to more kids. And so in that journey, God actually led them in many ways to adopt another sibling set of four. And then on top of that, the birth mom that they adopted from got pregnant with twins and asked that they should take it. And so then they added two more. And now they're a household of nine. And if you ever got the chance to sit and talk with my friends you would hear them bubble with a passion for adoption. 
you would hear them talk about the opportunity they've had to love these kids, to provide a home for their unique family of 11 with kids from different places and different things, right? Their journey wasn't expected. It wasn't normal. And yet God used it in a way to bring blessing and encouragement to kids that might never have had that same experience. Maybe you've walked through pain and suffering. Maybe you're in a season where you've walked through challenge. How might God be using that to prepare you for what he wants to do in and through you? Because what you're going to see in a moment is that through all the barrenness and all the challenge, there was a faithfulness in Elizabeth that prepared her significantly for this moment. And she becomes a pretty amazing example in the text. One, I think, that often gets overlooked. Look at it with me in verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So Elizabeth is in this scene. She's pregnant. She's gone through barrenness. Mary shows up. And suddenly she responds. And I think actually she's given in the text as an example for us. So I want, I want to pick apart a few of the things that we see in her that I think we should look at and say, man, that's something to be encouraged or challenged by. One, she is a physically and spiritually attuned woman. So she's in this moment. Mary shows up and her baby, who's going to be John the baptizer, leaps for joy. Now, Pregnant women, babies move inside them. I didn't know that till you know, I finally had a wife and kids. Like, and so you, women, those women that go through that journey have a certain attunement to that child. But what's unique to me about Elizabeth is not she's like, oh, well, this baby kicked and I felt it. It's that she's spiritually attuned enough to know that this isn't just a normal movement. That something happened within her womb that was spiritually significant. So although she suffered through barrenness, she's elderly, she's in this season, she's spiritually attuned to the moment, which I think is actually pretty important. There's a fulfillment of promise that was given over her son, and she recognizes it. And as she's spiritually attuned, she then becomes prophetic in her response. Right? The text notes, so the baby leaps, she recognizes it, and then what's happened She's filled with the Holy Spirit, and catch this, she exclaimed with a loud cry. So God stirs something in her heart, and she speaks out of that place with a prophetic voice. That's the emphasis here. He's trying to show you this isn't just normal speech. This isn't like she just was like, oh, cool, Jesus is here, awesome, Mary, great. No, she recognizes the spiritually significance of the moment, and she speaks out of that to encourage Mary. Right? What, what's are her words? Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. She acknowledges, and I have to admit, again, Mary, we're going to see her example in a moment. She's faithful, but you have to imagine there had to be some confusion, some question, some wondering of what's going on. Is this all real? Is this all true? And so as she shows up to Elizabeth's house, Elizabeth senses the work of the Spirit and speaks encouragement over to Mary to say, hey, you're blessed. 
You're blessed among women. You have a high honor. Not only that, she's so spiritually attuned, she's the first person in Luke's gospel to actually identify who Jesus is. She says, why would it, is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She's the first one to use that word. So she's able to recognize spiritually the moment and speak prophetically to it, to encourage Mary to recognize the truth of what God is doing in the moment and where he is going. I think that's an incredible example. I think when I was reading it, I was reminded how much that continues to be needed within the community of faith. Women, God has given you unique spiritual attunement. He has. And as you walk faithfully and godly before him, you have insights that we need to hear and see. We need your attunement and we need your voice. It's important to who we are as a spiritual community. If God just wanted the voice of men, he would have just made us all men. But you have something unique that God's created in you. And as you're spiritually attuned to him, your voice becomes significant in speaking into the life of spiritual community. Don't miss that. Don't don't miss the example that Elizabeth is here. There are a lot of people in the Gospels who get heralded for their faith and get heralded for their voice. And yet at the very beginning of Luke's Gospel, the woman who's held up as one of the great examples of spiritual attunement and her voice in the life of Jesus is her. Zachariah didn't believe it. He had got it to close his mouth. But his wife saw what was happening. And in this moment, she was able to speak the truth of who God is and what he was doing to encourage Mary. Not only that, she continues to be an example of humble amazement. Think of how her response could have been. Think of the pain that she had carried for years to wait to hope to get pregnant as a child. And here comes her teenage cousin who's suddenly pregnant. I imagine it'd be easy at that point to be like, come on, God, really? You made me wait 70 years for this? And you're going to work through her that way? Oh, and even that, I get second fiddle. Like my kid's just the forerunner. She gets the Messiah. You see how easy bitterness could have taken place in her heart. But again, she's faithful and she's attuned. And in the moment, her response is to recognize the reality of who Mary is carrying, the promised one. And she stands back in humble amazement and says, man, why would this come to me? Right? Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Daryl Bach in his commentary on this passage says, Elizabeth is exemplary in her response. She is the amazed saint. Here is humble amazement at being able to participate directly in God's plan and see him at work. All who have a role in God's plan should share this wonder. And then she takes a moment in response to teach us a principle. She says in verse 45, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This word blessed is a different word than the word blessed that she used in, in the first phrase, 
This is an announcement of blessing or favor that comes from God. It's the same word Jesus uses when he gives his beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon of the Mount, where he'll say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn. It's a bestowal of God's favor. And so what she's acknowledging is that there is a favor or blessing upon those who believe that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken. She's reminding us that there's unique blessing in those who respond to God by trusting in his word and sharing in the joy of his work in their lives. And it's here we find Luke saying, hey, pay attention to these two women. They're an example of this. They're an example of seeing God's favor for those who are faithful in trusting him in the way he works uniquely in their story. And so Elizabeth becomes this reminder and an example to us. But there's also a second example that we see that, again, is meant to encourage us in Mary. And so in verse 46, the focus shifts to her and her response. And Mary responds to the reality of this encounter with a song. She's different. I think maybe Elizabeth is the more direct, prophetic one. Mary seems to be more the musician. She writes the poem in response. I love the different ways you see their characters in this moment. But her poem is just not any poem or song. I don't know if she sang it. It's in that form or structure. But she writes and responds with a deep, profound reality and connection with the word of God. Listen to her words in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And so again, Luke sets up Mary as an example to us of someone who responds to the reality of what God's doing in Jesus in a unique and faithful way. And we see a few things in this woman that are pretty startling. It would take me an entire teaching to unpack all that she says just in this song. Maybe I'll save that for Christmas one day. But what I want you to see for a moment is the example that we see of Mary from the song. Because there's a few things that we understand about her from the way that she responds in this moment as she encounters Elizabeth and in the song that she proclaims. One of the first things we see in her is that she's a woman of deep humility. She's a woman of deep humility. Look how she acknowledges God right from the beginning. Lord, Savior, He who is mighty, Holy is his name. She acknowledges God for who he is. He recognizes him in his divineness, his power, his sovereignty, his goodness. But he remembers also that he's looked upon her in the humbleness of her estate. She recognizes where she comes from and who she is. And she stands amazed that God would show such grace to her. 
that he would actually interact with her life in this way. She reminds us that no matter where we come from, no matter what our story is, humility is the place where we embrace and recognize that it is only anything that we ever have is only an act of God's grace towards us. It's not birthed out of our class or achievement. No, it's the deep place of humility that says, man, God, how would you do this in me? But it's also what empowers us when we recognize that we serve a God who comes and moves through the lowly, through humility, through the humble, that he can take any of us in our stories and use them for his purposes. It should cause us to follow Mary's example of praise. Mary is a woman of the word. This song draws on countless, countless Old Testament texts. I could take 10 minutes right now and walk you through all the different allusions and quotes and themes that she draws from in this text, that she takes from the scripture as she proclaims this reality to what God is doing. Mary is someone who knows the scripture. And when God moves, she's able to connect what God is doing with the promises that have come. Sometimes God moves in unexpected ways. Sometimes we find ourselves in places in life that might be confusing or disorienting or trying to figure out and navigate, God, really, is this what you're doing? Is this how you're moving? What Mary reminds us of is when we know God's word, we're able to draw back on that truth and help connect it to the reality and to recognize, oh, this is the promise God is doing. I can hold fast to that. I can trust that he's going to do that. I was thinking as we were singing the first song, we sing that line that we often say, right? You'll never let me down. How can we genuinely sing that song? Like you're telling me you've never been through a season in your life that you know, they were like, I feel like God kind of let me down there. We sing that song not through the lens of experience. We sing that song out of the lens of promise. Promise says what my experience is might be different than what I know God to be. So if my experience is different from promise, faith says I'm going to hold the promise above the experience. So I'm going to say God never let me down. Not because I don't feel that because that's what his word says. And that's what we see in Mary. She holds to the promise of God. She doesn't know anything. Jesus hasn't even been born yet. She just knows an angel showed up, gave her a promise. Here comes the Messiah. It's not like she's on the other side of resurrection going, man, God's going to do this. Look what he did. My son rose from the dead. He beat all y'all. This is awesome. She has no clue what's going on. And yet she holds in this moment fast to the promises of God. Some of us, some of us, I'm going to say this very gently because I know it from my own place. Some of us struggle to hold the promises of God in pain because we don't know the promises of God. You can't hold a promise you don't know. What Mary reminds us of is to know God's promises actually gives us the ability to hold to God's promises. Even when our journey takes unexpected turns. 
She's a proclaimer of justice. He's shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. She sees in this moment that God is beginning to fulfill her promises and she knows that means it's going to turn things upside down. I mean, think of the words coming out of her, right? This is Mary. She's from like backwater, hick town, Nazareth. Like the, the place that nobody wants to be from. And yet in this moment, she recognizes what the reality of the Messiah is. She looks at those in power, Herod and Caesar, and says, hey, you guys don't get the last word. He's actually going to flip it. The true king is here. See, Mary recognizes the upside-down nature of the kingdom, and she's willing, even in her voice, to declare the reality of God's justice and righteousness. That's significant. We need voices for justice in our world. I'm thankful for many women I know who are voices for justice in a world that needs it. And that should be all of us to recognize and see the example that says, faith holds me to a place that although the world thinks it's on top, the God I serve is actually the one on top. And therefore, what the world says is great isn't. What they think they're about, that's not reality. Finally, she's a woman of deep faith who recognizes her role in the mission of God. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. She gets the larger mission of what God is doing in his promises of redemption. And in the moment, she holds those in faith. She looks and says, this is it. God is fulfilling his promises. It was unexpected. God showed up in a way that was interruptive and not in the way she anticipated. I'm sure Mary had a lot of dreams for her life. And I don't think any of them included a teenage pregnancy before she was married with the Son of God. And yet here we find her surrendered to God to say, oh, you're going to move that way? I see and I trust that you're going to fulfill what you promised to our forefathers. And she shows that faith that recognition that God can use her life in that purpose. And I think what we're reminded of, even from these two women in this text, is simply the truth. God uses godly women to advance his mission. And that should encourage all of us that God uses all of us in his plan and his mission. They're given examples to say, follow their example. See their faithfulness here and seek to model that in your own life. They're certainly not perfect women. But in this moment, Luke wants to hold them up and say, look, as you walk with faithfulness, as you trust, God can take the scattered pieces of your life that don't make sense. He can take the hardship of barrenness for decades and form in you such an internal spiritual life that when the Savior shows up on the scene, you're attuned to it and you can speak prophetically over it. 
You might be young and a teenager, but you can know the word of God so deeply within your heart and mind that when God does something in your life, you're able to draw on his promises and proclaim his truth where others might not be able to. You see what faith can do? You see how faith can move in a way that allows God to use our story for his great purposes. I can't help but wonder, I can't help but wonder as I studied this text for a moment, if maybe these women didn't have a pretty profound effect on their sons. I mean, Jesus was human, and humans are influenced by their mom. And so I can't help if wonder if the Savior of the world who knew his Bible better than anyone wasn't influenced by a woman who knew it at a young age. And I can't help but wonder if the voice of one crying in the wilderness who spoke prophetically to a nation to prepare them for the Messiah's arrival didn't first discover that voice in a mom who was able to utter a loud cry when the Savior of the world showed up. It's pretty amazing what you see for those who are willing to walk in faith. But I think the reminder is for us today, I don't know again where your story is. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you bring. But what I think these women remind us of is no matter what, as we embrace the path of faith, God is faithful to use it. And God can do pretty incredible things through our lives. I'll close with this. Uh, Listening to these two women actually reminded me of another woman in history that I think is just a good example for us. She wasn't a mom. In fact, she was single for her entire life. And she walked a path, probably that I imagine, like these women, wasn't the path she envisioned for her life. In fact, I know it wasn't. Corey ten Boom was born in 1892 in the Netherlands to devout Christian parents. She was raised deeply in her faith and came to a deep love and passion for the Lord. Like many young women, Corrie ten Boom envisioned marriage and family and life and all of that path, but recognized early on in her early 20s that that wasn't what she was called to as she watched the man that she loved actually get married to another woman because his parents approved of her more than Corey. So she resigned herself to work at her father's watchmaking uh, business along with her sister Betsy and to continue to serve faithfully there. World War II came up during the time of Betsy's young adult life and her family made the decision at that time to be part of the Dutch resistance and to begin hiding Jews in their homes so they wouldn't be taken to concentration camps. Unfortunately, they were discovered, and one night, the Nazis invaded their home and carted Corey and her sister Betsy off to a concentration camp. She would struggle there for a season of life, actually watching her sister die in Ravensbrück, suffer horrible conditions. Eventually, the war ended, and Corey was released and returned home. Desiring to continue to serve the Lord, she actually served and worked for a time helping refugees and people who were struggling in light of the war. 
she was committed to Christ and desired to walk a path of forgiveness for those that she had faced and suffered under. God eventually led Corey to write. She wrote a well-known Christian book called The Hiding Place that encountered and shared her story of what her and her sister had gone through in both her arrest and internment in the concentration camps. And it became a well-known book. She wrote several books. That's probably her most famous. And it actually began to launch her into a public career where she was invited in many places to speak on the truth of God's love and forgiveness and the journey and what she had been through. She became a very prominent speaker, being an advocate for peace and reconciliation and has had an impact on countless lives. She lived to be 91, single her whole life, never had any kids, but leaving an incredible legacy and impact on generations of the truth of the gospel, the power of God's love, and what it means to embrace paths of forgiveness. I doubt when Corey Ten Boom was a young girl in her teens or 20s that she envisioned the concentration camp was the path God was going to use to ultimately help her be an encouragement to others. I doubt she thought that the path of suffering would actually be the way that God would open the door and develop in her such a deep reality of the gospel that she could then speak and help others when they face tragedy and suffering and loss in their life. And yet, Corey Ten Boom is quoted as a saying, this is what the past is for. Every experience God gives us Every person he puts in our lives is the perfect preparation for the future that only he can see. I mean, these two women didn't know the path their sons would walk. They knew a promise they were given. They didn't know that one would ultimately be beheaded and the other one die on a cross but that God would use both of their stories and his great work of redemption, ultimately Jesus being our Savior and Lord. And yet in this moment, they held on in faith to the promise of God. And God used their different paths and their different stories and his plan and his purposes. And I think they serve as a reminder, wherever you're at in your journey, hold on in faith that God can take that path He can take those parts, he can take that reality, and he can use it in his grand plan and purposes of redemption. Let's be a people that walk in faith, and we'll let God determine the future. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, as we said and acknowledged today, your grace, your love. You're so so good to us. And I pray today, God, as we just stop for a moment, as we see this example of Elizabeth and Mary, that that you would help us, all of us, to recognize the truth and reality that you're a God of redemption. We might be in this room old and weathered by the pains of life. We might be in this room young and excited with plans in our head, but not knowing what will come. Every one of us is in a different place and different path. And yet your grace meets us right in that place. 
and invites us to faith in you, to trust in your promises, knowing that as we do, you will use us for your glory and your purposes. And so, God, I just pray right now that you would grant by your spirit for us just that faith to hold fast and hold true to what you have promised us, that you would help us to walk faithfully before you. We love you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.